Welcome to episode 77 of Talking Wild Madness. This is Adam. This episode is brought to you by Adam's new novel, Bird, available online, on Amazon, on bookshops uh, throughout Australia, wherever good books are sold. Uh, episode 77, uh, I, I know I always start these these podcasts with saying it's been it's been a crazy few days, and I also know I've been starting quite a few of the podcasts saying it's been a crazy few days, and I talk about it being a crazy few days, but it has actually been a crazy few days. Uh, the uh, the movie news, Edward and Isabella is going ahead strong. We are locked in for a shoot, a film shoot, movie shoot, film shoot. I'm still coming to terms with the nomenclature of, uh, of, of the movie world. So we're locked in for the first three weeks in November. Uh, the lead actress is Chloe Hurst. Uh, Chloe has been in films with Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe, uh, Amy Schumer. I think the Amy Schumer film was called I Feel Pretty. And the Ryan Gosling movie was The Nice Guys. She's also in a, uh, it's a, I think it's up to its third season, uh, a show called Andy Mack. And it's one of those shows where the lead in the show is is like a teenage a teenager, like a twelve year old. I think Andy Mack is is a twelve year old girl or something like that. And Chloe plays the uh, love interest of the father of the lead. I, I think I think that's it. I I I, I don't watch Andy Mack. That's okay. I do. I loved uh, the Good Guys, uh, and I haven't seen. I feel pretty, but Chloe is in. She's uh, official. It's now announced. Now we have Edward yet to be cast. We've got three um, beautiful gentlemen uh, who are going to do what's called a chemistry test. So the chemistry test is happening in about two weeks' time. And that is when you get uh, you get a whole lot of auditions and then you pick the best of the, of the best. So I've picked, say, the top three of all the auditions that have come in. And now you do what's called a chemistry test, which is basically you you re, you re film the male actor interacting with the uh, with the with the lead female actor that you've already cast, and you see who works better on screen together. So it's a very groovy um, it's a very groovy process. It's it's not it's not cut and dry, and there's a there's a respect for I, I suppose intuition or things that are not necessarily up front uh and i and i like that i like that i i think when i'm i i write my best or i songwrite my best or i novel write my best it's all just it's just coming from uh it's coming from the the, the other biomes it's not necessarily coming from a logical place it's coming from more of a feeling uh so i think that's i'm, I'm very happy to discover that that a chemistry test is a thing uh, where uh, where there's respect paid to uh, invisible things, uh, the, and there's, there's it's formalized enough to the point where it's given a name, uh, and I really really like that. I like the fact that things that you can't see, uh, touch, smell, taste, all the rest of it are still being uh, deeply respected because they're because they are true because they are absolutely true. Uh, and initially I was a bit, I was a bit nervous because I don't like, uh, I don't like saying no to people. 
and and if you're asking someone to audition for you that's a big that's a big ask of someone and they have to put in a hell of a lot of effort whether they do it well or whether they don't do it well they still have to put in a lot of of effort you know just memorizing lines getting a friend to hold hold a phone camera in front of them uh, and then that psychological nakedness that psychological nudity that's required with with actors from actors or um, good 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 or bad actors there's a great wrestling saying and it was from dan gable and he said uh not all people who wrestle wrestle with talent but all people who wrestle wrestle with uh honor because it, it takes a hell of a lot to get out on onto a wrestling mat and uh and roll around with another another person it's a very it's a humbling experience if you've ever done it and whether you have good skills at it or not not good skills there's a there's something to be commended in, in stepping out on onto say the wrestling mat or stepping out onto on audition uh, uh floor uh so i was a bit nervous with the prospect of i'm gonna have to say no to two of these to two of these um, male actors who, who are playing Edward, which is going to be uh, initially, I thought, oh, that's going to be really tough because you you get to know people uh, very quickly when they're when they're say auditioning because they're really opening they're opening themselves right up to you. Uh, you get to know them very well, and then I, I kind of felt you almost feel like you're letting down a friend kind of thing. But I I believe that. On the day, it'll be just obvious who who the choice is. So it's almost like I won't have to make the choice. The choice will will show itself, and and one of these guys is going to interact better than the other two guys with with Chloe. Um, yeah, I think obviously these these actors that that I'm working with, these guys are, are experienced. It's not like this is their first rodeo, so they're probably well battle tested when it comes to comes to the audition uh, process I, I just started a new book yesterday uh, i'm writing uh, a book about uh, about two young guys um and I, I loved the process i enjoyed i enjoyed writing it uh, i only did 500 words yesterday and i'm going to do 500 words today um and i began already to think about the submission process and it didn't excite me at all about having to do the submission process because it's it, and it, it's making me think of the audition process. You do get battle tested, you do, but you also get battle battle weary as well. Like uh, in order to get Bird published, it took me five years to find a home for it, to find a publisher for it, uh, and it's it's grueling. It is it is absolutely a, a grueling process. Um, so even though the, the actors in question, although they might be, uh, battle tested, it, it would still be disappointing. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I'm going to have to disappoint two people. <sighs> that's, that's, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. So the other day there, there's a scene in the film. Most of the, most of the film is set in, in the one uh, location, which is basically my house. But there's a scene uh, that takes place on Bluff Knoll. And if you are listening and you're not from Western Australia, Bluff Knoll is, is kind of like uh, Western Australia's Mount Everest 
or, or the southwest's regions, Mount Everest. So it's the highest spot and it's set in the Stirling Ranges, which are, you know, as all mountain ranges are absolutely gorgeous when you get when you get right up close. So a couple of days ago we went up to Bluff Knoll. We to we went up to the summit to scout out exactly where on the summit we were going to have this little scene. That's a very small scene that probably only lasts maybe 20 seconds in the film. But the the hike up Bluff Knoll is uh, I would say grueling. I, I think if I was to be generous in my appraisal of Bluff Knoll, it's like walk, well, it literally, it's not like, it is uh, like walking up a very steep flight of stairs for about two and a half hours nonstop. Uh, except of course, uh, you do have to stop a couple of times. The, the views are breathtaking. The climb is breathtaking. Um, and you're in this very, you join a community of people because there's always lots and lots of people there. Even though it's it's a it's fairly remote-ish, it's about an hour's drive from Albany, which is where I am. Uh, and there's nothing in between, say, Albany and, and there. There's no, there's no little towns. As we've mentioned many times before on the podcast, there's really not much here in, in, in the bottom of, uh, on the south coast of Western Australia. So you drive out uh, and you enter into this national park. And when you get there, there's about 15 cars in the car park, 15, 20 cars in the car park. And because the, the climb up takes about two two hours, depending on how, how match fit you are, um, the whole round trip is supposed to be three to four hours. And I think we did it in uh, just just under three, three and a half, three, three hours and 20. But what happens is you start your, your ascent up. And if you're not particularly fit, if you're not particularly, uh, or if you've been up the night before, maybe drinking too much and smoking cigarettes, uh, it gets, it gets rough pretty quick. It gets rough pretty quickly. Uh, when we, when it was 12 o'clock on the dot, pretty much when, when we took off, and it was it wasn't hot, but it was it was it was a nice day. It was a still a warm day, so the sweat kicked in very very early, and the out of breathness kicked in very very early. I hadn't I hadn't been up uh, Bluff Knoll for I think five years, and the last time I did it, I uh, I won't say I ran up, but I I went up nonstop, um, and had a nice yeah just had a nice steady pace all the way up. But this time, yeah, I, 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 it did not go as, as well as I, as I thought. And I, I had to stop a few times along the way, just literally to take, take a breather and, um, and, and yeah, re reassess my life choices. Although I will say, uh, although physically, and I thought, cause I feel physically better than I did five years ago, but obviously, obviously the, the late night before didn't, didn't help. Hopefully let's put it down to that. But psychologically and mentally and uh, dare I say spiritually, I think I feel a lot better uh, this time because last time when I went up, there are moments along the, along the trail where you really get to see like over the edge, you know. Obviously, when you get to the top of the summit, you can see, you can see the edge. But along the way, there are, there are parts of the path that are very, very close to a, 
you know, a mortal drop-off, this, this uh, you know, no chance of survival kind of thing. And the last time I remember, the last time I went up there, I had thoughts of throwing myself off the edge. Now, how how serious were the thoughts? I, I well, I obviously didn't throw myself off the edge, but I definitely there was a there was a whisper coming from coming from one of the internal biomes saying, "Adam, just jump, just go, just do it, man, and and this will all be over. Just go for it. Go on, go on. I dare you." And we will even we'll save money. We'll save money on the drive home. Someone else can come and and uh, and pay for the fuel to pick you up down down the bottom. And uh, and that that thought that that struck me the last time that I went up, kind of unnerved me. Kind of, uh, yeah, I'd say it kind of frightened me. I was like, made you reassess what the hell? What the, I thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think um, that these kind of tendencies were that strong, that they were accessible that quick. Uh, and I'm delighted to report that this time up, up the mountain, I didn't have any of those thoughts. I, I looked over, uh, you know, those edges, those those parts where if you were inclined, that, that's where you were going to, that's where you were going to throw yourself off. That's where you were going to swan dive in into uh, into oblivion. Uh, and I didn't have that whisper at all. I, ha I had, had none of that whatsoever. Um and I was a little bit uh, trepidatious about the climb because I remembered having those thoughts. Uh, and I, uh, maybe that's why it's been so long. Maybe that's why it's been so long since I've since I went up there. So no suicidal thoughts. And just in case, if you're listening for the first time, I, I don't have a history of, of suicidal thinking or or suicidal fixations or mor morbidity or anything like that. Um, but it was uh, it was a surprise to to have to have it so strong, and it was a nice surprise this time to to not have it at all. So so yeah, so th things are on track. Things are on track at least in in the uh, in the non suicidal department. Which is, if you only have one department on track, I think that's a good department to have uh, to have in order. Uh, now, what happens when you're climbing up this up this mountain, up this stairmaster? You obviously you don't see the people coming behind you because you know they they might have started half an hour ago. So there's a big distance. But what you do see are the people coming down. And say every ten or fifteen or twenty minutes, you will you will see people who are coming down the mountain. And as you are going up the mountain, obviously that's a very different experience. Your paths. Your paths are crossing on the same path, but your experience on the path is miraculously different because they obviously have reached the summit, unless, of course, they gave up before they got there, in which case oh, they probably wouldn't be feeling so good about themselves. Uh, but you are suffering. You are suffering going up. Now, they're also suffering coming down, uh, but they're not suffering as much as you are going up. Uh, apparently cows cannot walk backwards downstairs uh that's 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 one thing the other thing is uh i don't know who's walking cows upstairs by the way but apparently cows are not able to walk downstairs um you 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 are you're you're sharing this uh level of suffering the the person who said 
it's harder to walk down stairs than upstairs. It's harder to walk downhill than uphill. Whoever said that has never walked uphill or upstairs in their life because I'm telling you as a fact, as a truth, as, as a universal uh, truth, it is infinitely, exponentially harder to walk up Bluff Knoll than it is to walk down Bluff Knoll. And I had the exact same spirit experience in Germany when uh, when Tom uh, took me up a mountain. I can't. I think we did a podcast at the top of the mountain. Oh, we should have done a podcast at the top of Bluff Knoll. But we, we went up up a, a German mountain, and the German mountains, you know, the Germans are as familiar with mountains as as uh, uh, well. They they plant their vineyards on mountains, and actually that. Dry Riesling in Germany is is basically a physical manifestation of, of Taoism. Some German said, I want wine, I need to plant some grapes. And the German God gave this man a plot of land that if he ironed it out flat, it would be eight times the size. Uh, but he has these mountains and obviously he's not going to be ironing mountains flat. Uh, and instead of instead of being instead of being in a state of despair, uh, they planted their vineyards on a hill. And apparently, uh, there's something to something in the Riesling grape, which I believe is one of the five noble grapes, along with Pinot. Uh, I'm not even going to pretend to know the other the other ones. I know Pinot and I know uh, Riesling are the noble grapes. They're the ones that are hard to grow. And you have the Chardonnay grape, which is like the uh, the the whore grape that'll just grow anywhere on anything. On it'll, it'll grow across a doorway, any kind of conditions. But the Riesling needs the slope. It needs it needs the the, the soil. It needs the, sl- the the wind. It needs all the conditions that are present in a sloping vineyard. And if you have ever tasted a uh, a, a German dry Riesling or an, a South Great Southern dry Riesling. Uh, yeah, that's that's what Taoism tastes like. So you're you're sharing this path, but your experiences are very different. And as you go up in agony, and it literally is agony. It's been three days now since we did the climb, and my calves are literally they feel like they're they're on they're on fire. I had to I got into the car the other day and I couldn't I couldn't lift my leg. My leg was about two inches it needed to go up two more inches just to just to clear the bottom of the car and i had to i had to pick my leg up with my hand the extra couple of inches because i couldn't i couldn't uh, do it uh, brutal you know brutal stuff but what occurs on this path the people who are descending now you don't have to stop to rest when you're when you're descending the only time you might stop when you're descending is to stop and give encouragement to the people who are going up now, when you're going up, you can't see the top of the mountain and the path curls around the mountain, so you can't even see the path. So it's kind of like you're fumbling in the dark and you don't know how long it's, you've got to go. You don't know how far along you are. There are a few signposts along the way that, that tell you you're so-and-so many metres, you know, you're one and a half kilometres from the top, you're, you're, you're two kilometres from the top and so, so forth. Um, but some of the walking track flattens out for a very, very small amount of time. Uh, but for the most part, it's just stairs. It's just stairs and stairs and stairs. So when you're coming up the mountain suffering, you get 
kind of visited by these benevolent, peaceful humans who have shared your suffering, have conquered the suffering that you're enduring. And there's something in it that brings out the very, very best in people. Uh, there's no judgment along the, the, along the hiking trail, the ascending and descending shared hiking trail. Everybody that you met along that route was incredibly friendly and incredibly encouraging. Now, sometimes they were too encouraging. Sometimes they kind of misled you and told you that you were closer to the top than you actually were. Uh, now, I'm sure they did that out of out of good intention, uh, but I, I don't. I wouldn't do that to a hiker. If I was a descending hiker and I met an ascending hiker, I wouldn't. I would be honest with them about how far they had to go, because you're kind of you're torturing the mind on on top of uh, the body that's already being tortured. Uh, to kind of give this false sense of, oh, you, you've only got a little bit to go. Yeah, just go around that bend and then it's it's plain sailing from there. And then you go around that bend and it's not plain sailing from there at all. And I think it's kind of, it's analogous to life. I think it's kind of the equivalent of lying to children, telling them uh, that everything's going to be okay and there's going to be no problems and you're going to be happy and everything's going to be wonderful. And then when things turn out not so wonderful, things turn out not to be so happy, it's a gruesome shock to the system. And as well as dealing with whatever actuality is taking place, you're also dealing with this crack, this breakdown of, of your uh, thinking, of your, of your uh, you know, your self-imagination. Everything that you believe to be true uh, turns out to be false. So not only do you have to deal with the catastrophe at hand, you also have to uh, reassess your, your own identity at the same time. Uh, so I don't believe in, yeah, I, I, I don't lie to hikers or children or, or children who are, who are walking up the path. Um, but it was, it was like, it, it was biblical kind of in, in tone. Well, yeah, it was biblical because you were sharing the same path and you, everyone kind of became the good Samaritan who were walking on the way down. And it was like you were getting, uh, just a, a little taste of mercy. You were, you were getting, it was like someone was giving you water when you were thirsty, giving you, giving you some food when you were hungry, visiting you in, in prison. That, that kind of, uh, that, that beautiful story when, uh, uh, I, I can't remember whereabouts in the New Testament when they ask Jesus, uh, you know, we've been, we were Christians. We were, and he said, well, man, you, when I was thirsty, you never gave me water. When I was in prison, you never came to visit me. I don't know. I don't recognize you. I don't know who you are. So in, in this instance, in this walk up Bluff Knoll, it was as, as you were dying, as you were like, if someone had of, if you could have picked up a crucifix at the bottom, it would have made sense. It would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah. You have to bring these these crosses up to the top. Okay. All right. That, that makes sense. But the, 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 the stairs were so, they were so grueling. They probably thought that we don't need to give, actually give out wooden crosses here this is this is enough uh and then eventually you you get to the top eventually you do reach the summit uh and it is obviously absolutely gorgeous once once you get up there and then you you sit on a rock you know and you uh you you, you stare out and you take it all in uh and then after 
yeah, 10 or so minutes, 20 or so minutes, you, you begin the descent and then you become the good Samaritan because you are now, uh, the, the roles have been reversed. You have reached the mountaintop and now it's your job on the way down to congratulate your, yourself for, for hanging in there and making the walk. And then it's also your job now to encourage everyone else who is coming up. And it's a very natural uh, process. It's a very natural transition from, from one to the other. And you really, like, I, I would like to think that I'm, a, uh, I'm an empath empathetic, empathetic person. Is that a word? I like to think that I'm someone who has empathy. I really, I, you know, uh, I think I can, I think I can say that uh, about myself. Um, but the, there, there's like this heightening, it, 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 you almost take on like a parental kind of mystical uh, guide to these people coming up because when they're walking up, they look how you felt. They, the look on their faces, we, we came across, there was a elderly Japanese couple. Now they weren't elderly, elderly, and no one does elderly better than uh, Asian people. If you want someone to really look old, uh, Asian people know how to do that very well. I think probably the Chinese Chinese women know how to do ancient, maybe better than anybody else. Because um, you get, I think it's the is it the Japanese and the Italians. They have the the highest. Uh, they 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 grow the oldest, the average, the oldest average age, because of their diet, because they eat lots of seaweed and lots of lots of seafood. Um, but the Italians, they age pretty, I mean, they age well, but they don't look old. Even the old Italian women, obviously, except, you know, there's a few exceptions, but, uh, if you want someone who looks 112 to actually look 112, you have to go to China, you have to go to Japan because there's just something about what happens to the Chinese people when they get old or the Japanese people, particularly the women. And they just take on this shroud of uh, skin and folds and deep set eyes. And they just kind of, they look like living, uh, melting rocks. So they weren't, the Japanese couple that we met were not that uh, old. They were probably late 60s, maybe, maybe early 70s. Um, and that's hard to tell, I think, as well, because Asian people age very well. Uh, up to that certain point, and then there's that that there's that drop off um, where they turn into mystical mystical beings, uh, and the Asian the, the Japanese woman uh, was taking a was taking a breath, and she looked at me, and I was I was walking down, and she said, "Easy peasy," and it took everything in my, in my being, not to say Japanesey, and I didn't, and I, and I was proud of myself. Um, I could have gone with lemon squeezy apparently, but I, I didn't, I didn't do that either. Um, but words of encouragement were, were exchanged and particularly she reminded me of my mother. She was kind of my mother's age. So I, I felt, um, I felt very close. I felt very close to her. Uh, and, and the, and the man, uh, the Japanese man was, was very, uh, he was very friendly. He said, it's just a walk in the park because uh, it's in a national park. So you had these two, 
late 60 70 year old uh couple who seemed i mean that's a that's a thing to do that is a thing to do on your day off on your sunday uh is to go and climb a mountain of, of bluff knolls intensity when you're 70 years old um but they seem to have this real nice playful uh spirit to them which was cool and i hope i hope on all hopes and i think i will if i'm lucky enough to get to be that age uh, i think i hope i'll be as uh, as playful as uh, as that as the japanese couple so we made it all the way down uh and brought some beers for the uh for the for the uh, i don't know the celebration at the bottom had a couple of ice cold beers down uh down at i don't know what's the opposite of a summit the base i suppose um and it was yeah it was a it was a glorious way to spend a few hours of intense suffering and then turning transforming into the benevolent good samaritan and, and encouraging people on the way up as 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 we had been encouraged uh, on our way up so so it was very beautiful i'm hoping uh, that the actors are going to be happy climbing up this, and I'm hoping that the cameraman is going to be okay because uh, we're going to obviously have to bring lug up some gear on top of this. So, in, in place of the crucifix, we'll, we'll be carrying uh, we'll be carrying at least a camera um, and, and and a couple of a couple of uh, maybe a microphone or two. I don't know. I've got no idea. Uh, he can he can tell me on the day. I was thinking like it's a re it's a very exciting to be in a space now where um, we're making a film. Uh, I've, I've been wanting to do it for for years since I was probably about sixteen, and I always was fairly introverted, and I wasn't able to make say I wasn't able to gather ten or twenty people together to make a film. Uh, now you don't need ten or twenty people, but you need you need at least you need at least three uh you need at least a, an actor and a cameraman at least so you need two people and uh, and then yourself looking over their shoulder but it's very nice to be in the movie space the cinema space and work in that uh work in that art form and it's kind of it's just like a really expensive canvas you know in, instead of instead of a, a linen stretch canvas with some paint brushes and paints the the canvas is now the house or bluff knoll is the canvas and the paints are the actors and and the brushes are the cameras and the lights and you've got to pay for everyone's equipment and you've got to pay for everyone's time and uh you know it's expensive it's very very expensive art form uh, but there comes there comes a level of anticipation and excitement with it as well uh that you that you kind of get when you pay money for something when you pay a lot of money for something there's this element of oh i really have to be i really have to take care with how i how i use this or how i enjoy this so yeah it's very exciting uh and i will keep you posted <laughs>